This poem is called, Take Courage, I Am With You. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. When all you know is in flux and the day is looking grim, take heart, for I will not leave you or forsake you. When the situation gets sticky and you wonder if the Lord is still with thee, take heart, I will not leave you or forsake you. When the kings of this world demand that you bow down and worship their gods, remember, I am God of their gods and king of their kings. I am sovereign ruler, the Lord who reigns supreme. Do you know what this means? It means a few simple yet earth-shattering things. It means, that I am, it means that I will give you wisdom to guide you in your steps, knowledge so that you may properly appropriate my precepts, and courage that you may stand under the pressure of unjust demands. Against these things, no thing can come against you, for it is in me which you stand. So take my right hand, and I stand with you in the midst of the trouble. When you can feel the pressure surrounding you, you can know that I have surrounded you with my grace and my mercies. While some will stand by waiting for your demise, it is I, Adonai, who will be your deliverer. And when they shall see you, and when they see you, they'll see me. For you are in me and I are in you. Therefore, when you're found standing in the fire, take heart. Your being shall not be tarnished. However, I will use the fire as a type of varnish so that you may shine, and I shall shine even brighter. You will reflect my providence for my people who are called by my name. So trust that I will never leave or forsake you. Who can match my majesty? Who is it that can say I am your God and your God alone? Who will give charge against my people and I not deliver them? Who shall they call upon in the day of their distress? None other than Moshiach, the Most High. So be courageous and do not fear, for the Lord your God shall never leave you or forsake you. Thank you. Wow, that was awesome. Yeah, we, you can do better than that, man. Wow. Thank you. This man, what a gift. I wish I could be a poet like that. I do, man. I get up here, y'all would never know what's getting ready to come out of my mouth. Hi, my name is Mike Pagano. Actually, it's not, but your bulletins say that I am Mike Pagano today, but uh, I've already introduced myself. I'm Greg McCormick. I'm the pastor here. I love the fact that we are going back to the Old Testament to visit some of the Old Testament examples of God's faithfulness to his people, and we're going to do the same thing today. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to join me in Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1, and I've got to tell you, this story is my favorite of all the Old Testament stories. I couldn't wait to get my hands on this one. Um, I've titled this sermon, Trial by Fire. Trial by Fire. And I'm going to start off with a, with a statement that I, I think that you should write this down because it's going to serve you well, not only in this message today, but it'll serve you well as you think about the faithfulness of your God. Okay? And here's a statement. Our faith must not rest on the premise that God will deliver us from our trials, but that he is able to whether he chooses to or not. 
Our faith must not rest on the premise that God will deliver us from our trials, but that he is able to whether he chooses to or not. With that, let's go to the Lord. Father, thank you for an incredible opportunity to once again speak to your faithfulness. You've been faithful throughout all generations. You are the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. You're steady. You're trustworthy. As we break open your word, Lord, and See what you have to say to us. I pray that you will infuse your words with power. Don't let them just be words on a page or words from my lips. But Lord, anoint these words for life change. To draw us closer together to you, we pray in Christ's name. And everyone said, amen. I told you to mark your Bibles in Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapters 1 through 3, we find some of the most incredible story. Uh, of God's deliverance. We find Daniel and his three companions, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And uh, these three chapters that we're going to cover today, in the stories in these three chapters, I think they represent incredible victories in times of intense trials. And I'd, I'd, I'd also like to say this. While we sometimes want to fast forward to, you know, God's deliverance of of the, of the three Hebrew men in the fiery furnace, I really believe that it was their very first victories that was the foundation for all their other victories that were yet ahead of them. And because of these, these men and because they were faithful to God while they were teenagers, I believe that God rewarded them with faithfulness in their years uh, to follow. The time period was somewhere around 607 B.C., so almost 2,700 years ago. The Babylonians had just overthrown Jerusalem and uh, taken for captives everything that Jerusalem held in possessions, even the, the precious vessels that were in the temple. So I want you to imagine with me these four Hebrew teenagers, because they were, they were teenagers, and they were snatched out of their homes by their Babylonian captors. They were moved to Jerusalem more than 500, or to Babylon more than 500 miles away. Now, I know 500 miles doesn't seem like much to us today. We can get there in a few hours by car, but 500 miles back in the day, was quite a distance. So they were away from everything that was familiar to them. It's also highly probable by what the scripture tells us that these, these four men were royalty. And it was the Babylonian custom to find royalty and nobility, the best of the best, the best and the brightest, and bring them into the king's court and teach them and train them in the ways of Babylon. They were standouts. These four men were standouts, and it brings me to my first point. As it relates to, to us as children of God, God's children are called to stand out. God wants us to stand out above the rest. Daniel chapter 1, verse 3 and following says that these four men were the best and the brightest of all that Israel had to offer. They were the complete package in them you found men that were strong, they were handsome, well-spoken, they were socially experienced, they were well-liked by their peers, well-educated and mentally sharp. 
And while all these were great qualities to possess, the one quality that I think was overlooked by their Babylonian captors was that these men were devoted to their God. And even though their lives were about to change forever, watch this now, in the face of their trials, these men would still remain faithful to God. So it breaks the question. How do you respond when you encounter difficult trials? How do you respond when you encounter difficult trials? God wants us to stand out. He wants us to stand out through times of difficulty. You know, King Nebuchadnezzar would do his best to, to, to get these three men to conform to the ways of Babylon. And I'd have to tell you, I believe that he was less interested in their productivity and their work than he was in converting them to a new term I call Babylonianism. You won't find that in your Bible. You can write it down. Uh, that's, that's my new word, Babylonianism. Look at everything that was thrown at these men in a very short period of time. First, they were forced out of their new home. And let, me, let me say this, too, that um, I'm not going to go verse by verse, but I'm going to give you the verses that I'm speaking of as I'm going so you can take a look at them as I'm, as I'm opening this up for you. So we're in chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. These men were forced into a new home. They were no longer surrounded by godly men and godly influences and godly parents, mentors, and teachers. Every comfort that they were accustomed to was snatched away from them. They were forced to learn a new language and acquire new knowledge. Gone was the chance for them to immerse themselves in the wisdom of God. From now on, they would be spoon-fed in the king's court the wisdom of the world, the wisdom of Babylon. And while they were in captivity, they would undergo a complete brainwashing with the goal of, of taking away their identity, their culture, their language, and their faith. They'd be given new diets. Over the next three years, each of these four men would be ordered to eat from the king's table, the best of the king's food, which of course was contrary to the dietary laws of, of the Jews because often this, these foods have been offered to, to idol gods. And so to eat this food that they were given would be blasphemy. They were assigned new names. We're going to do a series here in a few weeks called What's in a Name? There's a, a lot in a name. These three men were given new names. The names that were their original names were names that would remind them of their God. But they were given new names. They were taken away from them. Their names were changed to reflect the gods of Babylon. Their names were changed from Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah to Belshazzar, Shadrach, Meshach, and a bad Negro. Yes. Yes, you know I couldn't get past it without saying it, right? <laughs> Abednego, right? And all this happened because the, the Babylonians hoped that in doing this, that it would cause these young men to forget their God and encourage them at the same time to serve the gods of Babylon. Let me tell you something, family. Today we face the same trials. Nothing's new under the sun. 
We have a very real enemy that desires to see us conform to the standards of this world. He's constantly attacking our identity as followers of Christ. He's constantly trying to get us isolated from others. Let me, let me stop right here because I, I, gotta, I, I just have to say, it is very, very important that each of us find fellow followers of Jesus Christ that we can share our lives with. Because you'll never know if the person that's sitting right next to you might have been sent to you by God to be your best friend for life. You never know how God might use the person who's sitting next to you or who you forge brand new friendships with to walk with you through difficult times, even times that you don't know are going to occur. And it's the enemy's job to constantly get us to isolate from others and not do life with others and not open up our heart to others when that's the way of God because none of us were designed to take this journey alone. That's a good place to say amen. What does he do? He tries to constantly get us to look and act and think and talk like the world, to buy into the wisdom of the world instead of the wisdom of God. Why? Because he knows that if he can get us off track in that way, that we'll forfeit our power. We'll forfeit our authority. We'll forfeit our witness and our testimony that God has given us of his goodness and faithfulness. So our text today reminds us that in, in spite of all the external pressures of the world, these four men refused to conform. Hmm. And here's what's true. You know, in the face of adversity, they could have done like, you know, like many others have done. They could have made excuses and gone along with the crowd. No, God understands. Everybody's doing it. If I just do a little something, something, it'll be all right. God, God he knows my heart. Look, I'll keep my faith private and to myself. And if anybody can see my life, and I'll let my light shine. I, I, I'm not going to force my religion or force my, my faith on anyone. I'll keep it to myself. But that's not what these men did. They were expressive in their faith, and they refused to bow. They refused to bend. They refused to compromise. So let me ask you, how do you Respond in the face of times of testing and difficult trials. God wants us to stand out. He wants us to stand out with an unwavering resolve. See, Daniel had already determined that he wasn't going to defile himself with the, with the king's drink and the king's meat. And he also persuaded the eunuch to allow his three friends not to be defiled either. Scripture tells us that this eunuch was scared for his life because he recognized that, that if he brought any into the king's court after this three-year period and they, they weren't healthy, they weren't wholesome, that it could be his head. So Daniel goes to him, you know, early on in the process and says, listen, I need you to give me 10 days. Just give me 10 days of doing things my way. Just, just give me 10 days of eating vegetables and drinking water. And if at the end of 10 days you evaluate me and we're not doing as good as the others or better, then we'll, we'll acquiesce to your, to your request or your requirement. Scripture tells us at the end of 10 days that their appearance 
was better than those who had been eating and drinking from the king's table. See, Daniel made up his mind to do things God's way and not compromise and leave the results to the Lord family. And in the end, the result was divine triumph. And see, even in divine triumph, God wants us to stand out. See, in their time of need, God gave them everything that they needed. All that they needed, he gave them. He enabled them to excel, the four men, over all the other students of Babylon. They excelled in literature. They excelled in science, unmatched in wisdom and favor, not only from God, but favor from the king. And at the end of their time period, the king himself had to admit that these three Hebrew men and Daniel were wiser, 10 times wiser and smarter than all of his best advisors. I want you to listen to me. When we purpose to do things God's way and put him first in everything that we do, he will cause us to live triumphant lives. Show his quiet in his sanctified church today. Yeah, somebody say amen. amen. Y'all listening to me? I just want to be sure. So with all this favor and all this reputation, obviously, there was some jealousy taking place from those who were in the king's court. And listen, the enemy was just waiting for his chance to square up with these kids, with these Jews, these young Jewish men. Let me tell you something. Our enemy is patient. I was telling someone or several people this week, you know, we have to we have to understand that our enemy has been doing this for thousands of years. He has no mortality and he knows no chronos or timeline. So he's willing to wait, you know, uh, wait us out and we can be fervent and, you know, and planted and rooted and, whoa, we're doing good, Jesus. And he'll wait until the, the crucial time of testing and trial, and that's when he'll show up in our lives. And that's what happened with these three Hebrew men and Daniel. The enemy waited for them. Waited for his season to come and give them a trial by fire. Let me tell you something. If you're not in it right now, your trial by fire is coming too. The enemy's going to wait you out until he has an open opportunity and he's coming. But just like these four men, I want you to understand that God wants us to have courage under fire. Mm-hmm. Watch this now. More than 20 years elapsed from the time of the writing of, of chapter 1 to where we pick up here in chapter 3. More than 20 years had, had expired. And during this time period, we see that, that Nebuchadnezzar hadn't changed a bit. And we see in chapter 2, somewhere around verse 46 and 47, that he had proclaimed that God was, that, that our God was the God above all gods. The God of Israel was, was the true God. He said that with his lips, family, but he never really, it never really got down to his heart. And so it came down to it now, and things were about to change, and once again, he was about to put God's people through a series of tests. I call the first one the idol test. 
the idol test. Here's what he does. He constructs this magnificent idol, 90 feet tall, 9 feet wide. He gathers all the officials from, from the Babylonian Empire, and he, he calls them to come together in worship of this idol. Any person who was anyone in the kingdom was called to be there. Read to you what it says here. We'll pick it up in Daniel chapter 3, beginning in verse 4. You got your Bibles with you today? Raise your hand if you have your Bibles. See? Good for you because I'm not putting it on the screen today. You have to look. And the herald, king had appointed a herald, proclaimed aloud, you are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, everyone, everyone, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, Harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music. Everybody say every kind of music. You ought to fall down and worship the golden image of the king that he has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship immediately shall be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. Hmm. Let me, let me stop right here for a second. Music can be a powerful lead into idolatry. How many of you know that? Nebuchadnezzar was smart. And so now he has this new form of idolatry, and what he does is he, he ushers it in with music. <laughs> Don't miss that. You see, music can be a tool that's, that can be used for good or bad. I believe that God is, has given us music, and it can be good. It can be a good thing but it can also be a God thing. And if it's a God thing, then it's an idol. You know, as I studied this out over the last couple of weeks, man, the Lord really convicted me about music and about worship. And I have to tell you that I've been leading worship since I was a child, about eight years old is the first time I started leading worship and still do I love leading worship. But the Lord convicted me that sometimes there have been periods in my life where worship had become an idol for me. A good thing had become a God thing. And so I began worshiping for all the wrong reasons, with all the wrong expectations. The enemy, the enemy can use anything to become an idol. So he used music. The second test is the accusation test. It's picked up in verse 8. Therefore, at the time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews they declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn and the lyre and the trigon and the harp and bagpipe and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And watch this now, whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Now, there are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. 
Now, obviously, if, if, if in the scripture, Bible says that, that at the sound of any kind of music, now this was an orchestra playing, but, but if you hear any music at all, you are to bow down. Now, you can see how these four men, how they would stand out. Daniel, by the way, well, Daniel was still in the king's court. These men were over the province. And so, so obviously, when everyone would bow down, these three men refused to bow. And so they stood out like a sore thumb. So now, here comes the third test, the worship test. Let's pick it up at verse 13. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in a furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. And so they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn and the pipe and the lyre and the trigon and the bagpipe and the harp and every kind of music, if you're ready to fall down and worship the image that I have made, then well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And now who is the God that can deliver you out of my hands? In other words, Nebuchadnezzar was saying, listen, I am God here. I'm God. You think that you can disobey my command? Let me show you something. Let me show you how powerful I am. I'm God here. You choose to disobey me, nobody can deliver you out of my hands. Hmm. I love this next part. This, this next verse is why this past, this, this Bible story is my favorite. Listen to what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered the king. He said, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to even answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. Watch this now. Watch this, man. But if not, be it known, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. <laughs> I think these are some of the most courageous men, men that... that that are in the Bible and some of the most courageous words that have ever been spoken. Even if he does not, we know that he's still able. Listen, this message is pertinent for us today. Does God have all the power? Yes, he does. Is he able to deliver his children from any trial or tribulation? Absolutely. But does he always? No, he doesn't. Now listen to me closely. God may allow trials to come into our lives for a number of reasons. Sometimes we might not even understand the purpose when God allows them to come into our lives. These are the times, family, that we simply have to trust our Father, even when we don't understand, and even when it's not easy. He's made a promise that he would be with us in it and through our trials. He would always be with us no matter how fiery our trials become. And listen, God can be trusted. He can be trusted. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
2,700 years ago, he was God on the throne, and today he's still God. Mm. I sure feel like preaching today. The third, the fourth test is, is, is the faith under fire test. Let's pick it up in verse 9. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury. Now, let me stop right here. I think, I think Neb had an anger problem. Seriously. I mean, if you go back through, through this passage, through this whole thing, Nebuchadnezzar was always filled with fury. The brother needs some counseling. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and his expression on his face changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than it was usually heated. Now, y'all forget the pastor, but I was thinking, I said, now look, he had those men turn that fire all the way up to like hell. He said, man, I, look, ain't nowhere in the world you're going to escape this. So he had to heat it seven times hotter than usual. And then he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast him into the burning, fiery furnace. And then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, their other garments. They were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace because the king's order was urgent and, and the fire overheated the flame of the fire killed the men who took Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and these three men fell bound. Everybody say bound. It's important. Fell bound into the fiery furnace. Okay, so the description of this furnace, there are many historians that think that this furnace was kind of built into a hill. It had an opening, you know, a smaller opening. It's kind of like, looked like a bottle, right? Had a smaller opening. And then it, it went down to a wider base. And there was, a, there was a place where you could look into it to see whatever objects you dropped into the furnace, how it was responding to the fire. So Nebuchadnezzar had a front row seat to what was happening inside the fire. Now, I could imagine, based on what Scripture says, that he was waiting to see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego disintegrate in the fire, to burst into anguish over the flames. I would, I would imagine he was bracing himself. I don't think he was, I don't think that he was prepared for what he saw next. Verse 24, then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and he rose up in haste and declared to his counselors, Did, didn't we cast three men bound? Everybody say bound. Didn't we cast three men bound into the fire? And they answered and said to the king, oh, true king. And he answered and he said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire. I'm about to get happy up here, y'all. Look, they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth looks like the son of the gods. Hmm. Their clothing should have caught fire immediately, but it didn't. In the fire, their bonds were loose. Not a hair on their head was singed. Their clothing was not harmed. They didn't have a smell of smoke on them. Scripture says, let me ask you a question. 
Are you in the fire today? Are you going through a tough time today? Because here's what I want you to know. First of all, let me go back and, and read this, this other passage. I got I'm getting ahead of myself. I just got happy. Let's pick it up in verse 26. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace, and he declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out. Come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire and the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had no power over their bodies. The bodies of these men, their hair on their head was not singed, their cloaks was not harmed, there was no smell of fire even upon them. Let me tell you something, being in the fire brings you closer to Jesus. I want to encourage you with several things. If God has, has ordained fire in your life, it's not going to consume you. Not if you put your trust in him and him alone. So today, if you're in the fire, you got to understand it may be ordained by God for the very purpose of loosening you from the things that hold you in bondage. Mm. I'm convinced that, that sometimes God ordains fire in our lives, and then he allows the enemy to stoke that fire seven times hotter for the purpose of loosening us from the things that hold us in bondage. You know, when things are good, y'all, we, we very rarely cry out to God when things are good, do we? But let things get tight. Let the fire get hot. Near, oh my God, to thee, draw me near. We start singing those old songs and we want to get close to God when the fire gets hot. Let me tell you something. The fire, the fiery trials of life will bring us closer to Jesus. And the closer we get to Jesus, the more the things that hold us in bondage will be loosed off of us. Hmm. So if you're willing to walk with him through the fire, when God delivers you from it, you won't be singed. You won't smell like smoke. In fact, unless someone saw you walking with Jesus while you were walking with him in the fire, they won't even know that you've gone through it. All of us are going to pass through fire from time to time, every single one of us. It's in the fire that we come to know the intimate presence of our Lord in a way that we could not have known before. And we cannot know in the absence of fiery trials. He promises never to leave us, to never forsake us when we go through the fiery trials of life. He may not keep us from going into the furnace, but he will go with us in the furnace and then he will bring us out for his glory. Hmm. You going through a fire today? I love what Isaiah says in Isaiah 43, beginning in verse 1. He says, but now's Thus says the Lord who's created you. You might want to write this chapter down. Isaiah 43, verse 1. 
O Jacob, he has formed you, O Israel. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. And when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, I, you shall not be overwhelmed by it. And when you walk through the fire, you will not be burned, and the flames shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. See, in the, fire, in the final analysis, our, our fiery trials only are, they're meant only to consume the dross, that's those impurities that, that are on us and bring us forth as, as fine gold, the Bible says, to the glory of God. Look what Job says in Job chapter 23, verse 10. He says, but he knows the way that I take. And when I am tried, when he has tried me, I will come out as gold. I love what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning at verse 12. He says, Beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery trials when they come upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. He says, But rejoice insofar as as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad. Watch this now. When his glory is revealed in you. Being in trials draws closer to Jesus. And finally, being in trials, being in the fire allows us to see, allow others to see Jesus through you. Pick it up in verse 28, chapter 3, Daniel. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him and set aside the king's command yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any God except their own God. And therefore, I make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn from limb to limb and their houses laid in ruins, and there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. God desires that our lives become a living witness of his presence. And just like the lives of these men today in our text caused those around them to lay down the idols that they worshipped and follow the God of Israel, God wants to use us to impact the world that we live in in the same way, family. So when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego courageously took their stand before Nebuchadnezzar, they didn't understand. They didn't know with certainty that God was going to deliver them. They had no assurance that they would survive the flames, but they stood firm anyway. The chief lesson of this story today that I want you to take with you is that as followers of Christ, we will never be able to bring the world to Christ by becoming like it. We will never be able to bring the world to Christ by becoming like it. Ryan, you can bring your team up. There are times where we're faced with situations where if we say we believe, if we say what we believe, we run the risk of alienating ourselves from those around us, those who love us those who care about us the most. How do you handle that fiery trial when it comes to you? Are we willing to stand up for what we believe in the face of adversity?
when you're going through the fire and your faith is tested, will you make up your mind to boldly proclaim what thus says the Lord and determine in your mind whether God rescues you or not through this trial? No matter what you go through, you will not yield to the pressures of this world. Or will you alter, will you allow the world around you to alter your convictions? It's easy to do. Our, our message today, our faith in God, our trust in God must be predicated on this. It must rest on the premise that God will deliver us from our trials because he's able. But we also have to know that he's able whether he chooses to or not. He is a trustworthy, faithful God who has been faithful to all generations. Why don't you stand with me?